In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Hi, this is Cammie. Jonathan Goff joins us on Money Tales this week. As Jonathan tells us, the hardest lessons to learn are often the ones that stick. When he was a young adult, Jonathan hit a financial snag because he wasn't budgeting. He called his aunt for some assistance. Jonathan explains that she's the one the family runs to when they need help because she's responsible with money. That said, she isn't the kind of aunt to hand out money without asking questions and providing lessons to avoid financial mistakes in the future. Fortunately for Jonathan, his aunt has been a money mentor to him over the years and has inspired him to leverage the lessons he's learned to help others make smart financial decisions for themselves. Let me tell you a little more about Jonathan. He's a senior consultant and senior managing director of the Vermont Consumer Credit Consulting LLC. He founded VCCC in 2021 after spending years in financial institutions doing individual credit counseling and debt negotiating. Jonathan has proudly saved Vermonters millions of dollars in debt negotiations over his career. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics you'll hear in this conversation. First, Awareness is the first step toward being financially responsible. Second, not taking time to learn from money missteps can be a financial hazard. And third, how terrifying it can be to transition from secure employment to starting your own business. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now, on to our conversation with Jonathan Goff. Hey, Money Tales listeners, we have another amazing guest today to talk to. Before we go there, Sandy, any interesting money conversations or thoughts you've had lately? I have a question for you, Cammie, and I want an honest answer here. Okay, I'm ready. Do you buy lottery tickets? I do not. Nope. Okay, because I'm catching up on my New Yorker reading, and there's a great article I started reading last night called Scratch That. It's all about <laughs> great title. the lottery. <laughs> And I don't buy lottery tickets myself either, unless there's some sort of pool going on in the office. For fun. Uh-huh. Yeah, for fun. My mom, though, my mom loves the lottery. But I was blown away by what I read in this article. It says Americans spend more on lottery tickets every year than on cigarettes, coffee, or smartphones. What? This is crazy. Now, I didn't do the research. I'm just reporting what I'm reading here. <laughs> but I couldn't believe that. They spend more on lottery tickets annually than on video streaming services, concert tickets, books, and movie tickets combined. Sandy, that's amazing. It's the unreported entertainment. So I was just going to say that there is, of course, a lot of purchasing for the hope to be a winner. 
but I, I have to say that my brother used to buy, I don't know if he still does, but I, I remember getting these messages saying, we're in, and he would buy it for the family. And it was just fun to talk about like, oh, and your allocation would be this. And it was very, it was our entertainment. So are people doing it out of fun or just all those people hoping to win? I need to keep reading this article, but I think it's a combination. I, I think people just like the idea of, hey, maybe I'm one scratch away from changing my whole financial picture, but the statistics are pretty low. And from what I have read, it sounds like the people behind the systems that are offering these lotteries to the states are making a lot of money, which was fascinating to me. So if you and listeners want to learn more, check out that article. It's really, it's starting on a very fascinating note. And I do think there's something about lottery tickets that gives people the opportunity to dream a bit. And it's always nice to dream, but maybe not a financial strategy to really hang your hat on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's go scratch it with our, our Money Tales guest today. Welcome, Jonathan Goff, to the Money Tales podcast. Hi, how's it going? Jonathan, we're glad you're here. I need to take a minute. I have to text my husband to buy lottery (laughs) tickets real quick because he loves money. (laughs) So thank you for the reminder. It's like at 1.5 billion, right? Whoa. It's, yeah. It pulls you in. It pulls you in. That is great. It's entertaining to spend that dollar, but it'll be even more entertaining to spend 1.5 billion of those dollars, (laughs) (laughs) however much you've come home with. Jonathan, you've already teased us a little bit about who you are, but why don't you introduce yourself and provide a couple pivotal moments that you experienced through your life that really impacted who you are today? My name is Jonathan. I am the founder and the senior consultant for Vermont Consumer Credit. And I specialize in pre-qualification hurdles for lenders and borrowers. And pivotal moments, I would say having a company that is in Vermont. I mean, I'm in Vermont. I'm from Jamaica. So I think that that in itself is a pivotal moment that I went all the way from Jamaica to Vermont. (laughs) I discover that pivotal moment relives itself every winter. (laughs) (laughs) And I would say another pivotal moment would be paying for winter. In Vermont, it's nine months of winter. That's what it feels like. Nine months of heating bills make you feel like a grown-up real quick. So I'm a grown-up from Jamaica living in Vermont, paying for heat nine months out of the year. Those are my pivotal moments. Everything else is gravy. Jonathan, let's learn a little bit more about being born and raised in Jamaica. And specifically for us in this conversation, what was the money situation in your family? How did you talk about it? How were values demonstrated or talked about? Oh, well, let's see. I grew up in Jamaica. I left when I was about 14, but my formal household in Jamaica was very formal and this aesthetic. My aunts and uncles and parents and grandparents all had a good work ethic, but we were also extremely fortunate to like have a household that had staff, had gardeners and housekeepers and nannies and cooks. And so it kind of is a line divider in the society of Jamaica. There were people who have those things and there are people who don't. 
So that wasn't where we learned about money. It wasn't in that lifestyle. They were just habits that we grew up knowing about, knowing that you have a piggy bank, you you get money in an envelope from your older relatives and you save that, you know, those kinds of things. Jonathan, what was it like for you growing up in that environment? Especially knowing that not everyone where you lived had that same upbringing. My grandmother was an educator and she had her good sides and her bad sides, but one of her really good sides, which I think a lot of the people in my family inherited, was her side that was philanthropic. She had a very generous side to her, and she ran a prestigious private school in Jamaica, and a lot of people got free educations through that private school. She believed that education was the way to change your life from one point to another. And she taught the people who worked for her. She taught her grandkids. She taught my cousins. She taught her right, her kids, all that principle, which was an education is not money or land or stocks or bonds or diamonds. Those can be taken away from you, but your education is there to stay. And so that was the thing that she passed down to all of us. And so no matter where you were in your society in Jamaica, education was the equalizer. Jonathan, it feels like you won the lottery as a kid. Those are really nice things to have with the staff and this this family, this amazing family around you. Tell us, why did you leave Jamaica at 14? Jamaica, my grandmother had early onset Alzheimer's and my parents were young. And so she, my grandmother was the person who took care of me and they realized that that wasn't conducive. So I went to live with my father, who was a professor of hospitality management in Miami. And he had been an executive with Intercontinental Hotel. So it wasn't like going from the frying pan to the fire. It was really just a transfer of countries. But most American households don't have a housekeeper, a gardener, a nanny. Not having those things was new to me. So I learned to adjust and I was still given a good foundation. So that kind of change didn't really shake my world completely. Jonathan, were you talking about money with your family when you were growing up? Were there conversations? Not in the sense that probably should have been. I knew that there was money in an envelope if it was coming from certain aunts and certain uncles. I knew that if I lost a tooth, I'd get money. (laughs) (laughs) But there was no teaching you how to balance a checkbook, how to open a bank account. Those were not things that we were taught there were different things that was have an education that will give you stability. I guess those were like the deeper conversations that we didn't realize would affect money. Saving was also a thing. I think if any aspect of money was talked about a lot, it was the saving of money, not necessarily being a splurger, but spending your money wisely, spending it on quality things and quality experiences was something that was absolutely passed down. And how did you bring these lessons into your adult life as you continued to grow up? I think I learned a lot of lessons the hard way. (laughs) I still didn't learn the things that I have taught to people. I think I had to learn some lessons the hard way. I had to learn that you can run out of money. I had to learn that you need to budget. I've had to call aunts and uncles to help out. And when I was in school in California, like I remember calling my aunt in London, and that was such a time difference. 
and she would help out because I was not budgeting. Those were not things that were taught to me, but those lessons came to me. I mean, again, the lesson you have to learn the hardest is often the one that stays with you. Yeah, the one you remember. It's the one you remember, yeah. So did you start budgeting as a result? I started budgeting and then I started, again, with that, you start growing. And so everything kind of became more adult. Again, once you become an adult, you get all these wonderful, not really superpowers, but you get responsibilities. And wanting to buy, have a car meant budgeting for gas, budgeting for insurance, budgeting for the car payment. My aunt in London helped me buy my first car. I don't know how many cars she's bought for different people in our family. She tends to be the one that we all run to when we need help because she's the one that's responsible with money. (laughs) (laughs) And I learned that you have to have credit. This was, again, it was just mistakes that I made. And then I started working for the Board of Social Services in New Jersey, and I saw the real impact of money really affecting people firsthand. And so I was able to combine seeing mistakes being made with a few of the mistakes I've made and create this curated Bible of knowledge of how to avoid these mistakes because I've watched them come through the door every day, 10 a day. And the problems were always, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything you saw was like a different version of Windows. It's slightly off. Everything is slightly the same, but it's always got this little, it was just wonderful to see that like, oh, this is all rooted in money, or this is all rooted in a certain substance abuse, but you're able to see it every time. And you're like, the problem is the same. It's their lack of knowledge. They didn't know how to budget. They didn't know how to even make a grocery list, like make a grocery list because wandering down those aisles will catch you it'll catch you. So like you make a grocery list. Yeah. It's a tiny thing, but like make a grocery list, learn how to make iced coffee. Buying one for 550 is every day or multiple times a day is probably not the smartest thing to do if you want to save money. So Jonathan, I have a bunch of questions about what you're sharing with us. And I think I'd like to go back to the conversation between you and your aunt, which sounds like you've had many of them. What was it like reaching out to her? It was humbling. It's still humbling because she was absolutely a safety net for me financially. But on the other side of it, she constantly kicked my ass. But she wouldn't just arbitrarily give me stacks of cash. She would want to know what it was being used for and why am I in this situation? And do you know how this is not going to happen again? Again. (laughs) And again, but I learned some lessons the hard way. And there were times when I came out of that on the other side. And I was like, thank goodness I learned that lesson before. Like I knew maybe don't buy a brand new car because it immediately depreciates as it goes off the lot. I don't need a brand new cell phone every time a new phone comes out. Those were like the little lessons that I learned back then that carry through to today. I have a cell phone now that like, I have to make sure that every lesson has like carried through to the next thing. Like I have to make sure it's affordable and though I don't have to call that aunt because learning a lesson 10 times is probably mean I'm not learning it. I'm, you know, I'm repeating the same class. And so I've learned lessons the hard way. 
So she was helping you, but she was also, it sounds like not only giving you money that you needed, but helping you realize and learn these lessons that you were missing. Exactly. And she was aware that because she also grew up in a similar household. So she was aware that these lessons had not been really carried through. And she also was very aware that times were different. She was sympathetic to that. And she made me humble. She sounds amazing. She is. She really is. Auntie Otto. You also said she's the one responsible with money. What is being responsible with money mean to you? I think being responsible with money means being aware of it. Like there is living your life with the money you have, and then there's living above your means, and then there's living well below your means. And some people sacrifice like their day-to-day happiness because they want to save money. And then there are some people who sacrifice the responsibilities of day-to-day life because they want to have those experiences. And there's got to be balance. You have to be aware of money and budget it accordingly. There's no saying that you can't enjoy the small things in life and still have a balanced budget. That is what I think means being responsible of being aware of the money you have. There are people who are in situations where they could have more and that would make their life have a level of ease. But there are also people who, even when they have all the money in the world, they're still not responsible with it. And, you know, that I think our culture kind of creates that scenario, which is hard to mitigate when you're trying to help somebody qualify for a car that they need to get to work. You're like, here's your scenario. You're paying for 15 apps at $7.99 a piece. It adds up. Like I said, I don't let my husband see my Amazon Prime account. Absolutely not. Is that right? (laughs) Oh my goodness. No way. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but like, Forget cheating. Like, let me see that. <laughs> Forget, let me see that Amazon Prime account. <laughs> that, that'll be the line that you cross. But yeah, that's you got to see it and be aware of what you have and use it responsibly. You can't just not treat money like because it does make the world go round. It has every bit to do with how the world works today. Your cell phone requires payment. You have to have internet. You have to have gas money. I mean, gas prices go up a dollar and your budget is thrown off completely. And that all is thinking responsibly with what you have, I think would be a good way to answer that with what's responsible with money, being responsible with what you have, be aware of what you have available. If you have a hundred, how are you going to spend that hundred? I really appreciate what you're saying about awareness, Jonathan, and tying responsibility into that. And I want to go back to the situation you were describing when you were working in New Jersey, and you would recognize that the people that you were working with kind of all had the same sort of challenges. There were lessons that they weren't learning. And I'm, I've always been curious. Sometimes in life, we learn something and we want to teach that to someone else some lessons you have to learn for yourself. So what's been your experience working with your clients around money lessons? I think it's kind of 50-50. I think I can't always get to a client before the mistake has already made. And then if I'm able in that moment to give insight to 
a situation that may come up, then I'm able to educate them. One of the things that I think an example would be is when a client comes to me and needs to fix a collection item on their credit report, they don't know how collection items end up on their credit report. There is the whole mysticism of credit reports in itself that even there's a lot of education out there. There's a lot of information out there, but literally no one seems to really understand really how credit works. And there are a set of rules, but somebody will come to me and say, I didn't even know that this was a collection item. How did this happen? I paid the bill, blah, blah, blah. There is an education in one, fixing the collection item which allows them to kind of move forward with whatever they were trying their process was. But then there's the education of this is how things get reported on your credit. So it's a mixed bag. It's fixing it and educating them. So now they're going to understand that a lot of places are going to report on a 30 or 60 or 90 day cycle. And that is how bills are reported on your credit that will give you some just a little bit if you can just get that then going into the next possible error in your life you can remember oh i can still do xyz so it's fixing and learning if i have an opportunity to teach someone something i'm always going to give them that there are clients that i've had before that i have fixed the same thing over and over again and I've sat down with them and I've said, you know, this is what you're doing wrong. This is how we're going to fix it. This is how we don't make this error again. And then six months later, they're in the same shoes again. That doesn't mean they're not getting the message. That just means that it's going to take a while. It can also mean that there's another problem. There, Yes. Uh, chances are there is a deeper problem, which is something that may be out of my scope to deal with. If a person's drinking problem is affecting their budget, I can't affect the budget till they address the drinking. So I have to pick my lane in that regard. <laughs> pick your lane. That's a great saying. So Jonathan, you're married and you also have told us you live in Vermont. I noticed the trend, <laughs> Jamaica, Miami, California, and all of a sudden you started getting colder and more north. I- uh, <laughs> So tell us a little bit about what took you to Vermont, what inspired you to launch your business. So I came to Vermont with my partner in 2012, and he had a store on a main strip here in the Chittenden County area, the main shopping area. And I worked in finance. I worked for the credit union. And I had two spectacular bosses. I had two, a COO and a CEO. And they saw my social work background. And they had a position that they wanted me to fill as a HUD counselor. And with their guidance, I was able to tap into the social work skills and learn banking and finance. And their solution to that was to put me in every department. They had me in every department, and I was lucky enough to go to every department and learn how it interacted with the other departments. And they taught me what I was made of. 
I remember I would go to them with projects and it would get red inked. It would just get corrected. I thought I was like, this is perfect. How could they find a mistake? And they went through it and they taught me things can be better. You can do a better job. They taught me how to think outside that box. And one was very analytical, black and white. And the other was incredibly creative. And together, they balanced out the banking and the social work. Because one made sure we were in compliance and the numbers made sense. While the other one found the need and said, this is where the hardship is. This is why we need to do things this way. And between the two of them, they gave me the knowledge over the 10 years that I was there, or almost 10 years, that this can be something bigger and people need to be able to come and sit with someone to talk about things other than the hardship in their life, but also their finances and how that hardship affects it. And multiple times, different members of the board of that organization told me I should do my own consulting firm. They're like, if you ever leave, which we hope you don't, if you do, you should start your own firm. And I listened to them. What was that like for you, especially from a financial standpoint? Terrifying. Oh my goodness. Terrifying. It's like, I can't even describe it any other way. There's, there's a side of me that is you're on your own. You know, when you go from having the security of an employer to give you that paycheck every two weeks or every 15th and the 30th of every month, that's kind of the routine and the hamster wheel that we are on here to it being all on you, then it's an eye-opening experience because it all falls on you. So if it weren't for my professional mentoring group that I have here in Vermont and the professional relationships that I've developed, I don't think I would have made it happen. Again, it was a humbling experience, including the ant. The aunt that's good with money came to stay with us for a week, and I got more done in that week than I could have done in four or five months. What kind of things was she helping you out with? Her career was as a venture capitalist, and she sets up and sets up businesses, makes them better, sells them. And that's something she enjoys doing. So for me, it was a moment of complete stress. For her, she's like, this is my hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I just handed her paperwork and she'd hand it back to me. I was like, this is fixed. You're going to do it this way now. I was like, okay. There's no way I can thank her. You're doing it by doing what you're doing. Exactly. When she says, oh, you did a good job. My whole body feels better. I was like, great. Because that was all riding on that, on that moment. Jonathan, what's your next money conversation going to be? And who's it going to be with? I would say my biggest money conversation next I hope it's with the builder of our home. We have been really wanting to build our own home. And we had planned before COVID to do that. But after COVID, the budget for that is three or four times the amount. Just because of inflation? Inflation, yeah. And I would say that feels like the deepest conversation regarding money for me. So I'm assuming it's a conversation with myself at this point, because we have to decide what we're going to do in that regards. Otherwise, all the other conversations are professional with clients or with my own tiny finances. But in that regard, that's a conversation with me because it's it's a four times the expense and I don't want to sign up for, that feels like a irresponsible decision to go four times the expense of something. But it's your dream at the same time. 
Exactly. It's the same thing. It's a dream. I think a lot of people with interest rates going up are watching their dream kind of just fizzle. It's been many, many years since a college graduating class could graduate from college and still afford a home shortly thereafter. If I remember the last stat, it was like the mid 80s when a graduating class could graduate from college and then go out and get a house and start a life. Most college grads have to move back home. They can't even afford an apartment, even with roommates. It's still out of their range. So I would think that being able to afford a house and a home is out of reach for a lot of people. So I think that conversation is going to be with me. It's going to be talking myself out of making a a fiscally irresponsible decision. Mm, Well, we wish you a very successful conversation (laughs) with yourself. And we do hope you achieve your dreams. My husband will probably get in there and be like, this Help. is not happening. <laughs> He'll bring out the big calculator and be like, this is not going to work. <laughs> right. Well, I'm glad you're having conversations about it. And thank you for sharing so much with us, your background, what you've learned. I feel like I know your aunt and she sounds wonderful. Your whole family does, your partner. Thank you for bringing all of them to Money Tales and joining us. Absolutely. You guys have been wonderful and relaxing. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.